A Harvard professor by the name of J. Mark Ramsier stated recently in a paper that sex slaves taken by the Imperial Japanese Army during the Second World War were actually recruited, contracted sex workers that earned a significant amount of money. He also claimed that they were free to leave whenever they wanted as long as they had filled their quota and paid back their money. Uh, This uh, sparked international outcries and controversy. The article itself has been criticized by many academic scholars around the world, including professors and students at Harvard University. Uh, The paper is entitled Contracting for Sex in the Pacific War, uh, set to be published next month in the International Review of Law and Economics. Uh, To give us analysis on this and perhaps a a rebuttal to uh, the claims made by Professor Ramsier, we're pleased to be joined by Professor Alexis Dutton, uh, a notable uh, Korea scholar and professor of Japanese and Korean history at the University of Connecticut, joining us on the line right now. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We know that uh, you uh, were also a a former student of Professor Ramsey at the University of Chicago in in the 1990s, and you also received a copy of, an advanced copy of this article back in December. Could you just um, walk us through uh, what what your initial reaction was and, and your overall thoughts on this controversy? Sure. Uh, I was. I actually. It was a, a feeling of shock, primarily because I've known Professor Ramsayer uh, collegially for decades now, and uh, he sent me the the article together with a number of of uh, my colleagues in the United States. And uh, when I realized that the article had already been accepted for publication, I, I really it was a, it was a feeling of shock because there's so many factual errors. There are so many uh, distortions, and yet I was in a position, I I, I can't criticize an, an article that's already going to exist in, yeah. in the scholarly world. That's what makes it different from an opinion piece. So shock, really, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I know that um, there have been numerous articles already um, citing your your views on this, uh, namely, um, really finding issue with the, the scholarship aspects of uh, the paper itself. Uh, from your experience as a student uh, taking one of his classes, uh, I would Im- imagine that you never would have uh, expected that kind of, in your view, to be uh, shoddy work being done. And then I guess the onus also being done on the uh, on the uh, International Review of Law and Economics for actually uh, accepting this uh, despite the peer review process, right? Right. And that's, you've, you've just explained the problem. That is to say, it's, it, the the burden of responsibility is now on the journal and the peer review process. We know that in the age of the internet, fake news, disinformation, misinformation, you can pretty put, you can pretty much put anything up on the internet as an opinion piece on most on most dot com sites, mm-hmm. not all, uh, but many of them. So that that's one category. Um, but a scholarly article, which in general nobody reads. And let's be honest here, nobody would have paid attention to this scholarly article had there not been that January uh, opinion essay, which was published uh, by a Japanese uh, website and then a Japanese uh, extremist or right, very far right-leaning mm-hmm. uh, newspaper, the Sankei Shimbun, drew attention to first the opinion piece and then that clued the international press into this scholarly article. And so that sort of backwards motion 
is it, it sounds arcane and academic, but you're right, because the peer review process for a scholarly publication, I mean, there's, there's no money in scholarly publications, right? right? There, that's just how we build an archive of evidence for the future. And, um, and so that's where the problem is, because, and that's what many of us uh, in the United States, around the world, uh, you know, we're not targeting Professor Ramsayer. Uh, he didn't commit a crime. We are questioning how on earth this initial article was able to get through a process. Uh, and so we're, we're, many of us are refuting the article uh, and writing to the journal, and, and really that's where, you know, we will learn what happened. And so it is a fait accompli that the, the, the journal will publish this, but I, I, I understand that there is a rebuttal process also on the way in that the journal has agreed to publish uh, an opposing uh, article uh, with, I, I guess, we would assume to be better scholarship? Yes, I mean, quite a number of us have been asked invited by the journal to submit articles for rebuttal. And ironically, uh, we've been invited to submit these articles to refute the essay. They will go through a peer review process. And I assure you, mine will be able to be fact-checked. I know my colleagues will be able to be fact-checked. Now, at the same time, people are also, other scholars are writing the letters directly to the editors, uh, asking for there to be some accountability uh, on the process. And so, yeah, I mean, your point is correct. And this is one of the arcane, weird things about uh, the, the age in which we live, right? Because we all know about an article which technically doesn't yet exist, yet it's already been accepted for publication. And so, no, it, because ironically, also, Professor Ramsayer makes much of a misuse, in my understanding, of the term contract. But when you publish in a scholarly, and that's, you know, we can talk about the substance, uh, but when you, when you publish in a scholarly journal, you sign a contract. So the only way this article could cease to exist is if Professor Ramsayer withdraws it. And he's not going to. We know that. Um, because he thinks he's right. Uh, and he's, you know, I mean, he's said as much to the press in, in recent days. Um, so the, the journal can't break its end of the contract. Uh, so it will happen. And, but, you know, this is kind of an interesting moment because we're building a, a rather large archive of evidence yeah. showing why this is, is such a, a, a grotesquely uh, misunderstood uh, aspect of what happened. Right. And uh, for full disclosure, we uh, had invited Professor Ramsayer to appear on our program. He did decline, um, basically saying that the article speaks for itself. Uh, as you know, there, the backlash has also uh, been uh, quite critical on um, him personally, and people have ascribed maybe perhaps some more uh, nefarious, uh, nefarious motives by some kind of cabal of uh, pro-Japanese groups, including the fact that he is the uh, so-called Mitsubishi Professor of Japanese Legal Studies at Harvard, and um, how uh, Japanese lobbying money has uh, resulted in uh, this kind of um, debacle. I know you probably would not ascribe anything uh, and would want to defame uh, Ramsayer's uh, character in all of this, but do you feel that some of the criticisms uh, leveled against, aside from the scholarship, uh, hold any merit? I actually have absolutely no way of knowing. Okay. Uh, in general, uh, both at American universities, but, you know, internationally, an endowed professorship 
uh, simply allows a scholar. It, it's how it's how good universities recruit scholars, right? Because it's yeah. a guaranteed amount of research money. And ironically, you know, a perfe- I've said ironically three times. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, everybody. Uh, the um, this the thing is, Professor Ramsayer would have been guaranteed. Uh, funding for his own travel to do research, yeah. uh, to hold scholarly conferences, and to recruit graduate students, law students. And so what this does is it, it tarnishes the name. And yes, we know Mitsubishi is connected to other things, but there's nothing nefarious in that. You you mentioned that you know he had declined uh, the chance to defend the article, uh, presuming that the article will speak for itself. And yet the problem is, uh, in both the scholarly article and the opinion piece, he has effectively called an entire group of scholars liars. Right. He's also, moreover, called the Halmani themselves liars. So, that simply to re- you know hide from those accusations is disingenuous and it's it's cowardly. And he probably you know I really can't speak for him, and I have no interest in impugning him. But, uh, no, I don't think supposition about how he was hired uh, really helps, because what does help is to look at what he printed and to go line by line and refute the assertions that are on the printed page. Yeah, ultimately, do you feel then the, the facts will win in this case? It's oftentimes an optics battle, and you have something being published the damage is done, and to undo that damage takes a lot of effort, but perhaps it's already kind of baked into people's minds that this is actually even under dispute, that there, is, there are some discrepancies as to what exactly happened during World War II with these um, uh, sexual slavery victims. Do you, do you, are you hopeful or optimistic that eventually um, correcting the record will uh, be effective? I'm a historian. I have to have hope. Yeah. Uh, but the way you frame that is is really quite articulate because the the problem is uh, the Harvard brand name, right? So yeah. it, this is an international news story because Harvard, 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 and I, you know, nobody would pay attention to this obscure article uh, if it were a no-name university. Right, right. So all of a sudden, it's a big news story, and it's it's that Harvard brand that makes some, especially, I mean, it's the denialists in Japan, once again, blaming the victim for the crime, mm-hmm. that will now assert that the Harvard professor has published this article calling Koreans liars. And they won't ever discuss this enormous backlash. And if you look at the newspapers in Japan and listen to the, the yeah. news in Japan, there's nothing about the backlash, right? And so it's just being silenced in that respect. Uh, and that's disingenuous, but you're correct. I mean, the, the backlash uh, is going to be part of the news cycle. At the same time, the archive that many scholars, and not just historians and legal scholars, are building, but what fascinates me, the number of economists, mathematicians, political scientists who have written to me because they're furious mm. that he's used game theory. Mm. You know, And I'm not equipped to discuss game theory, but I, I cannot... Some of the brightest minds on the planet are writing, and it's kind of exciting. Yeah. They're writing me saying, we would like to denounce this use of game theory because game theory does not justify sex, sexual exploitation at any time. Professor Dunn, it is always a pleasure to have you, and uh, we thank you so much for joining us, taking the time, and hopefully we can uh, have you back on again soon. Thank you very much, sir. I'm ma'am. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well.